sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome to our number two of a Football Friday live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid. In fact, the final Football Friday of the 2022 NFL regular season, but the first Football Friday of the year 2023. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us on Sirius XM Channel 159 and all around the Spiz Grizz network. That is SportsGrid. It's a big Football Friday. But the results of actual football games this week has felt insignificant, paling in comparison to the focus of all in the football and really sports world. The focus on the health of Buffalo's DeMar Hamlin. The last 24 hours has truly been nothing short of a miracle. A remarkable turnaround for DeMar Hamlin, filled with positivity moving forward, and a further update on this football Friday morning. Sham Sharania of The Athletic reporting a blessing. The breathing tube is out of DeMar Hamlin as of this morning, and he has begun talking to his Buffalo Bills teammates again. Hamlin has had a breathing tube in his body through his throat since that horrific scene on Monday night, but no longer needs it and can breathe fully on his own. That is absolutely remarkable. That is unbelievable. Again, a heap of of praise to guys like Denny Kellington, the assistant athletic trainer of the Buffalo Bills, for rushing onto the field in a moment of action, performing CPR to resuscitate DeMar Hamlin, so that could be absolutely vital so he could be here now. DeMar Hamlin's doctors at the UC Medical Center in Cincinnati furthering that idea. How remarkable this turnaround already is. A recovery process is certainly underway, but that he has already made these strides at this point significant and miraculous a shout out to all of the first responders the health professionals and damar hamlin's doctors at the uc medical center for the tremendous work that allows us to lead off the second hour of this football friday and really the entire conversation entering week 18 of the nfl season with positivity around damar hamlin represented of course in his teammates for the Buffalo Bills, who met with the media for the first time since Monday night. Yesterday, they practiced fully for the first time yesterday as well, and they got that news, just like the rest of us did, surrounding DeMar Hamlin's condition, and they were able to hit the football field with smiles on their faces and their threes up. That is DeMar Hamlin's number for the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen said at the press conference yesterday that when Mario Hamlin, DeMar's father, zoomed with the team on Wednesday night, He pretty much told them, and then Josh stopped himself. And Josh said he didn't just tell us. He demanded that we get back out there and go to work to honor DeMar because that's what he wants. He was a part of setting the goals for this Buffalo Bills team here in 2022 to be a Super Bowl contender, to win an AFC championship. That's what DeMar wants out of his team. And as Josh Allen said yesterday, that's what Buffalo is out to do. The Buffalo Bills will end out the regular season at home in Western New York on Sunday afternoon. An emotional finale is set, no doubt about it, as Buffalo hosts the New England Patriots. The Bills, a seven-point favorite. New England controls their own fate in the AFC postseason picture. If the Patriots win, they are in 
to the AFC playoffs as that third and final wildcard team. With a victory, Buffalo would wrap up the number two seed in the AFC postseason picture, and we'll talk about the AFC playoffs here in just a moment. First, we welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here, the second hour of a Football Friday live on the morning after. Sirius XM, Channel 159. All of our terrestrial radio affiliates now in the fold as well. I am Ben Stevens. So the focus all week long, and rightfully so, and will continue to be the health of DeMar Hamlin. But we also got the update yesterday for the NFL's plan for week number 18 and what it will mean for the AFC postseason. The Bills and Bengals game on Monday night has been officially canceled, deemed a no contest. So winning percentage will be used to determine the seeding in the AFC postseason picture. If the Kansas City Chiefs win tomorrow in the first of two for our doubleheader Saturday action to start off week 18, Kansas City will be the number one seed in the AFC playoffs. They are a nine and a half point favorite. Buffalo, a touchdown favorite against the New England Patriots, as we just shared. With a win there, they would be the two seed. Buffalo needs Kansas City to lose to become the number one overall seed. Cincinnati, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite on Sunday in their regular season finale against Baltimore. Cincinnati, based on win percentage, has already clinched their second consecutive AFC North divisional crown, but they are still playing and incentivized for home field advantage with a victory over Baltimore, who more than likely will not have Lamar Jackson out there. He is yet to practice, and since he has won eight straight games, thus an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. So to try to make a complex situation as simple as possible, we follow the odds and the numbers. If it goes chalk, Kansas City, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Buffalo, a touchdown favorite against New England. Since he an eight-and-a-half-point favorite against Baltimore, that would be the three seeds. KC, one. Buffalo, two. Cincy, three. If either of those three teams, a grouping of the two out of that group of three were to face off in an AFC championship game because of the win percentage and what we saw to end out week 17, the scenario would then be a neutral site game for the AFC championship between a group of two out of the combo of three of the Chiefs, Bills, and Bengals. A lot of hypothetical scenarios will allow the results on the football field to play out as well. More of the morning after, up next here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. A football Friday, live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid and Sirius XM Channel 159. But like during the 2022 World Cup, football in multiple varieties. As we welcome Dubsy onto the show, Dubs Anderson joins us live right here on a football Friday on TMA for some football slash here in America soccer drama. And then, of course, we look at the Tournament of Champions to start off a new season on the PGA Tour here in 2023 out there at Kapalua in Hawaii, setting up the second round. Because Dubsy, some of the biggest names in the sport of golf, off to a very good start. But we welcome you first here onto a Football Friday Live on the morning after. 
Thanks for having me, Ben. Excited to be here. I mean, it's an interesting time for Team USA. Uh, Greg Berhalter, the Berhalter family, I should say, taken on the Raynar family. Just after we got through the World Cup, which I thought was a bit of a success, we've had a bit of a falling out between two of the Supremo families in American soccer. And I mean, I, I guess we've got to start from the top, Benny. How did we get here? Well, we yeah. turn it back to Qatar. Gio Reyna was one of the young superstars, 20 years of age, plays with Borussia Dortmund. And we're saying, okay, he's going to be the X factor over there for the World right. Cup. Well, he wasn't used. And we're going, what's going on? We know he's healthy. We know he's fit. And then suddenly, a couple of weeks after the World Cup, it comes to surface that Greg Berhalter had to call a team meeting because it was so toxic after young Gio was told that he was not going to be a starter over there in Qatar. He was going to be a bench player. Well, Gio didn't like that. He thought he was good enough to be in the starting 11. He was stomping feet. He was carrying on. He wasn't training well. So Greg calls the team together and say, do we keep this kid here in Qatar? Do we send him on his way? Now, for me, that's the first mistake. If you're the head coach or manager and Greg Berhalter, you are paid to make those tough decisions. Once you call a yep. team meeting, it's going to come out. This is 2023. The news did surface and it was very embarrassing for not only Gio, but his father, Claudio Reyna, who played with Greg when they were coming up on the national team. They played high school football together. Well, it wasn't only Claudio who took uh, offense to this. Gio's mum, Danielle Reyna, decided to contact uh, U.S. soccer officials and say, well, now that we're here, let's talk about a little indiscretion that Greg and his now wife of 25 years had back at college. 31 years ago, there was an altercation. Uh, I, I'm not going to speak to the context of that. It'd be purely speculation. What happened, Greg and his wife have been married 25 years, you know, uh, Ben. They've moved past it. But uh, Danielle Rayner, she thought U.S. soccer officials need to know this information to get a little sort of one back. She's protecting her son, whose name's been dragged through uh, the media. And I mean, you know, the soccer circles are pretty small here in the States. The family not too happy with it. And I mean, this is Greg Berhalter was talking about Geo like a son in the lead up to this World Cup. So not good for US soccer. And it's a time where Greg's contract is up for renewal. I really cannot see a way in which Team USA moves ahead with Greg Berhalter being that guy up top. Dubsy, I think that was a wonderful su summer, uh, summary of what we have seen in this mess that has now come to light. Again, this was a report from ESPN on Wednesday of everything that has now happened between the Burhalter and Reyna families. There is the tactical nature of it. There are so many layers to this story, but the tactical nature on the pit, yes, I think you can fault Greg Burhalter in certain times of how he handled Gio Reyna specifically for the 2022 World Cup. Gio even posted on social media that his actions displayed a little bit too immaturity after he was told that his playing time would suffer. And then there's the familial ties between the two. Claudio Reyna and Greg Berhalter were on the same 2002 World Cup team, but it goes way back, even further than that. They grew up playing soccer together. They have been lifelong friends. Both of their wives were college roommates and teammates, as Dubsy mentioned, at the University of North Carolina. And back in 1991, there was an incident between Greg Berhalter and his now wife in Rosalind that Greg had to go on social media to illuminate as well to say that we were involved in a, vi a physical incident. 
He has apologized. He has gone to training and therapy because of that. And obviously the issues have been resolved as they have been married for two and a half decades and have four children. So there's so many layers to it that then Danielle Reyna would use that incredibly personal and intimate and intense bit of personal information to almost act in a way to uncover Greg Berhalter's past because her son didn't play, yes, albeit on the biggest stage, but at the World Cup. So many different layers, both personal, dramatic, all those things, Dubsy. Funny at times because it's soccer parents being too involved, but also a little bit uglier than that when you involve the past of who appeared to be some of your best friends in the world and make them relive a situation they have worked past and currently still is a factor in their lives. So yes, Dubsy, a, a wonderful summation of everything that we saw there. Something you highlighted at the end, Greg Berhalter's contract with the United States men's national team expired on December 31st, 2022 at the end of last year, but just a couple of days ago. What do you think his future is now, if at all, with the U.S. men's national team? I don't think anyone wins from this situation, Ben. I cannot see Greg Berhalter coming back uh, for the next cycle there leading into the next World Cup. There's a couple of friendlies coming up at the end of the month. Greg Berhalter, we already know, will not be there for those. I cannot see a way in which, you know, Team USA can can say, okay, we're okay with what uh, news has come to surface, has come to light. So I think they will part ways with Greg Berhalter. They'll find a new manager to lead Team USA. For Gio Reyna, it's a bad look for him as well, but he will bounce back. He's only 20 years of age, plenty of talent, yeah. plenty of upside. But again, there are no winners coming from this situation and really poor form from a couple of parties involved here. Certainly so. I think one word you could use to sum it all up, just sad. Frankly, sad. Yeah. This is the state of events between these two really close families and how it has all played out for the United States men's national team. All right, Dubsy, we transition onto the golf course, the first event of the 2023 PGA Tour season. Underway yesterday at Kapalua. We get ready for round number two on this Friday. It is the Tournament of Champions, which means it's mostly people that won on the PGA Tour last year, which means it's a smaller field and some of the biggest names in the world of golf. And John Rahm was the pre-tournament favorite, and he is still the favorite after firing a nine under par opening round on Thursday at Kapalua. So what was your biggest takeaway, Dubsy, from that opening round of the Tournament of Champions? These golf courses are too easy on the PGA Tour. And you highlighted a good point, Ben. It's not only just the winners there from last year. We've extended that uh, open invitation to the top 30 from the FedEx Cup standing. So it's a 39-player field. But we got three guys up top of this one. Morikawa, JJ Spawn, and John Rahm all posting nine under pars. We saw last year's winner, Cameron Smith. He got it to 34 under par. So I do think we'll be pressing 30 by the time we get uh, to the end of this one on Sunday. Look, it is a high-quality field, the first of elevated uh, purse events on the PGA Tour. I think the cream will rise to the top. Colin Morikawa has my attention. He went all last season yeah. without a win on the PGA Tour. When you need to make a lot of birdies, it's target golf. You've got to be knocking it close. For Morikawa, 90% of his greens in regulation there yesterday. That tells me there's, uh, there's a bit of upside there. The ball strike in his back. Plus 105 for a top five finish there. You can still get him at plus 650 to win the whole thing. John Rahm is going to be there. You look at the course history, super strong on this golf course. He's come ready to play in this one. But keep an eye on Scotty Scheffler. Minus seven, seven under par for his first round, plus 750. And if he were to win, he would leapfrog and go back in to world number one ahead of Roy McIlroy. Right. So plenty of motivation there for Scotty Scheffler as well. 
And let's show some of Dubsy's determinations for the weekend ahead at Kapalua, some of the plays that he likes the most. Because Dubsy, again, a bunch of big names. What is the expectation for the rest of the way at the Tournament of Champions? I think Tom Kim is the name we got to watch for this weekend and the name we got to watch for 2023. I think he's that good. He'll mm. finish inside the top five in the world standings. Value plays Aaron Wise at 27 to 1, a one time winner. I've been having a fantastic run of form. Sahith Gala, our value play at 40 to 1. There, three top 10s already start the. Start the season and Adam Svensson, Svenny Baby plus 360 for a top 20 finish. You can go and cash it out now. And how easy is this golf course? If Ben Stevens were playing this week, he would finish under par. There, I said it, Benny. No doubt about it. Dubsy, the driver, was tuned in last summer. I'll show you your time. More in the morning after. Up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We can officially say this is January. Live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid and Sirius XM Channel 159. We say that because John Rothstein joins the show right now to recap the ending of this week in college basketball and also move it forward for a huge weekend. As John, here we are now in January where conference action is our focus the rest of the way this college basketball season. Thank you for joining us live on this Friday on the morning after. Thanks, Ben. Always great to be with you. And as I say, you know, regularly, one of my highlights of the week is chatting with you every week. So let's be the catalyst right now to a great weekend. Ditto to you, my friend. Some news around the college basketball landscape, though, yesterday. Texas has fired head coach Chris Beard. Chris Beard was arrested on December 12th and is facing a third-degree felony assault charge stemming from an incident with his fiance, Texas, also suspended Chris Beard without pay on December 12th. But now less than a month later, John, Chris Beard has been fired by the Longhorns basketball program. What was your reaction to this news yesterday? Surprised that it happened so abruptly, meaning that I'm surprised there was such a delay from obviously the actual arrest to the moment we had yesterday where Texas decided to terminate Chris Beard. I expected this to happen, you know, a day or two after the initial arrest. And when we saw more time pass, that there was nothing from Texas in terms of a definitive statement, you started to think that Texas would wait for the legal process to play out. But from what I gathered from talking to multiple people close to the situation yesterday, early yesterday morning, there was a decision that Texas needed finality. Texas decided it needed to break ties with Chris Beard. And now we have Rodney Terry, a fine head coach who got Fresno State to the NCAA tournament, was building a very good program at UTEP, will now be the steward for a Texas team that, again, is good enough to have a very, very good season. They will play at Oklahoma State on Saturday. I talked to Rodney Terry last night about the situation. Obviously, he and every member of that coaching staff came to Austin to work for Chris Beard, and now the circumstances have drastically changed. But, you know, in a lot of different ways, Ben, we have to also be cognizant of how this affects everybody involved, not just the head coach who lost his dream job. Rodney Terry was the head coach at UTEP. He left that position 
to be an assistant coach and the top assistant coach for Texas under Chris Beard. Chris Ogden, somebody who spent a long period of his career working under Rick Barnes at Texas, was the head coach at UT Arlington. He left that position to be on staff with Chris Beard. So there is more to it than just obviously the head coach who lost his dream job. And also the background of this is that, you know, Texas still has a team that last week was ranked in the top 10 of the AP top 25 and is playing every night in the best league in the country. As of right now, Texas ranks sixth in the country at their peak this year, the number two team in the AP poll. They did lose to Kansas State earlier this week, an even one-and-one record so far in Big 12 play. K-State scored 116 points against Texas as they get ready for this weekend in Big 12 basketball. A big night in the Big 10 yesterday, John Rothstein as well. Number 15, Indiana on the road in Carver Hawkeye for a majority of the game for the Hoosiers against the Hawkeyes that being Iowa seemed like IU was going to roll to an easy victory up 21 points they cough away that lead as Iowa comes back for a 91-89 victory over Indiana so John a two-part question what was the turnaround for the Hawkeyes and what went wrong for Mike Woodson and IU Well, I think when we look at the turnaround for the Hawkeyes, I think one thing we have to look at is just the element of improvement for Philip Abracha, who has been, you know, really a revelation for Iowa at the five spot compared to what he was last season. And Ben, we are seeing a trend right now in college basketball, and I've been documenting this on social media. You know, we are seeing guys who come back for their COVID year take quantum leaps in terms of their production. I was going over the numbers yesterday. Ed Croswell, who had a big-time role in Providence's win over UConn on Wednesday night, already has scored more points this season than he did all of last year. In a day and age where experience is usurping young talent due to the transfer portal in college basketball and college sports in general, I firmly believe that it is equally as important to recruit COVID seniors in your own program if they're productive players and they don't have a guaranteed professional opportunity to come back for their COVID year. And if you have to recruit those players with the same fervor that you recruit a five-star prospect out of high school, you have to do it because it's changing the game. I mean, last year, Villanova got to a Final Four because Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels came back for a COVID year. Iowa is seeing it again, as we saw it last night with Philip Abracha. And as far as Indiana goes, look, Indiana, I thought, got really good minutes last night out of Jalen hood Shafino. He obviously has to carry a, a bigger, bigger load with Xavier Johnson out and definitely due to an injury. But we're also seeing right now in terms of the Big Ten, Purdue would be the team everybody would point their compass towards in terms of making a deep NCAA tournament run. But when you're trying to identify other contenders in the league, the two teams that have played the best other than the Boilers this year are Rutgers and also Wisconsin. With the exception of Minnesota, every Big Ten team is capable of beating everybody else in the conference. Nebraska should have beaten Purdue in a game at home at Pinnacle Bank Arena. They were right there. They lost the game late. And Northwestern, another team, again, that lost Ryan Young to Duke and Pete Nance to North Carolina, is vastly improved defensively, okay, you know, from last season. I went over it yesterday. Northwestern shot 32% from the field Wednesday night against Wisconsin. 
excuse me, Wednesday night against Illinois and won the game by 13 points. You know, I spoke with Chris Collins after the game and he told me we are not a pretty team, but we really guard what Northwestern lost in terms of star power at the five spot. They have gained in defense that combined with a Chelsea, a healthy chase. Adige has the Wildcats right now with a win at Michigan state and a win yep. over Illinois. If Northwestern can win six or seven more rounds in the Big Ten, they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. And a ton of veteran experience on that Wildcat team, led by Chase Audige, like you mentioned, and Boo Booey. Yeah. John, you just saw the Big Ten title odds. Purdue is still the favorite. I was at the rack last night for Rutgers' defensive stalwart performance against Maryland. Purdue bounces back from their first loss of the year, thanks to the freshman in Fletcher Lawyer, a game-winning three in the final seconds on the road in Columbus, a 71-69 victory for Purdue outright as a one-and-a-half-point underdog against the Buckeyes. As we now know, John Rothstein, the FanDuel Sportsbook, has launched in the state of Ohio. I'm sure tons that had the Buckeyes on the money line last night not too pleased with that game-winning three from Fletcher Lawyer. John, as we keep it moving here, Purdue, the number one team in the country, at least out of, as of right now in the AP Top 25, the number two team, but the favorites to win a national championship, the Houston Cougars. Now in AAC play, it should yeah. be an easy path, and we saw how dominant the Cougs can be last night in their matchup against SMU. John, if you had to use one word to describe Houston this year, what would it be? relentless because you've seen the way they've come out in some of these games and really just stepped on the throat of their opponents. But I also want to put this into play as well, because it's a real, real factor as we try to project the NCAA tournament, which, as you know, will be selected nine weeks from Sunday. Not that anybody's counting, but because Houston plays in the American Athletic Conference, Houston will not have as many opportunities to bolster its resume between now and Selection Sunday. The Cougars are going to get two games against Memphis, who's a projected NCAA tournament team. They could also play the Cougar, the Tigers again in the American Athletic Conference you know, tournament should they meet a third time. But with that said, any loss for Houston against a team other than Memphis in conference play could move the Cougars off the one line. We saw that a couple of years ago when Houston lost the league game against East Carolina. Teams in other conferences like the Big East, the Big 12, the Big 10, maybe even the ACC, they will always have more opportunities than Houston, at least for this season, because Houston, as we know, has one more year in the AAC before it joins the Big 12. Houston right now, the favorite to win the NCAA Tournament Men's Basketball National Championship, plus 650, the shortest number we have seen on the Cougs. You can see their path through the American. It's a minus 750 price for Houston. John, a 20-and-a-half-point favorite last night were the Cougs against the Mustangs. They easily covered that number. They've been a double-digit favorite in 14 of 16 this year, 10-4 and four against the spread. That's how you continue to impress the committee, even when the quality of opponent is not all that great. John, a big weekend ahead in college basketball, certainly in the Big 12, where KU right now, the reigning yeah. national champs, the short favorite to win the conference title. Elsewhere in the Big 12, which team do you think has the best shot of catching the Jayhawks? 
I think it's TCU, and I've said this really, you know, repeatedly since the end of last season. A lot of people forget that TCU was inches away from beating Arizona in the round of 32 of last season's NCAA tournament. The average age of TCU's top 10 scorers is over 21 years of age. They've got, I think, you know, one of the best backcourts in the country and Mike Miles and Damian Ball. And when you look at the chemical makeup of this team, it's almost like Jamie Dixon has taken one of his teams that he coached at the University of Pittsburgh and taken it to the Big 12 and added more offense. The pace that TCU plays at is completely different from those pit teams, you know, that Jamie coached back in the old Big East. But TCU has experience. It has guard play, and it has the depth and experience to push for a high seed in the NCAA tournament. Remember, all five orders back from last year's team that nearly beat Arizona in the round of 32. And this is only January. John Rossley and FanDuel have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for joining us here. More TMA next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. The final football Friday of the 2022 National Football League regular season, but the first Football Friday as well in 2023. Your final Football Friday thoughts, always presented by Joe Pisapia, live right here on a Friday on the morning after on SportsGrid. I am also Ben Stevens, but a special Football Friday with Joe P, because it wouldn't be a Football Friday on TMA, Joe Pisapia, if we didn't establish the run and, in fact, run the triple option. Our favorite side favorite total, and favorite prop for week number 18 of this NFL campaign. So, Joe P., thank you for joining us here, and a very happy new year to you as well. A happy new year to you as well, Ben Stevens. We're just at the threshold of that, by the way. According to Larry David, you get a week. So that's it. After that, you can't say happy new year anymore. So I'm glad we got in under the wire, that's for sure. You were here last Friday. That was December 30th. It would have felt interesting to wish you a happy new year at that point. So I want to make sure you're already having a happy new year here in 2023. So I abide by the rules that Larry David sets. We will also abide by the triple option. Like I said, our favorite side, total, and prop. And Joe P., you are our cherished guest here on the morning (laughs) after. And I'm glad that you are going to mention this game because it was something that I wanted to talk about as well. So please begin with your favorite side of the regular season finale weekend in the NFL. Yeah, I like the Chargers here. Uh, You know, we talk about whenever you fire a head coach, right? You know, and the Denver Broncos did that a few weeks ago. There's typically that little bounce, right? Where that team kind of rallies around. But I mean, what do the Denver Broncos have there? I mean, you could say they're playing for pride, but I think that went out the window a long time ago. And at a certain point here, this is week 18, where if you're not playing for anything, defense is pack it up and go home. They just do. Uh, and I don't blame them. They've taken a lot of contact all year. And although this Denver defense is a good one, they played very well for about, what, 16 weeks? By the end there, things kind of caught up with them in the last couple of weeks there of the season. So I think that when you're looking at that, when you're looking at, you know, a, a fully healthy 10-win Los Angeles Charger team looking to just kind of end the season on a high note here, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to go ahead yep. and, you know, go against an individual opponent here, put up some numbers and look, they're plus 125. You're getting plus 
money here on the Chargers. I think you take it uh, because at the end of the day, I just uh, the only argument you can make for the Denver Broncos is pride at home, finish the season out there, and you hope that a new head coach comes in next year. I just don't see that happening at this point. I think, like I said, that went bye-bye a long time ago for the Denver Broncos and for yep. Russell Wilson and for this organization. So they're going to have to reestablish that in the offseason, figure out what that pride level is, bring in a coach to bring everybody together. But for me right now, Chargers just a better football team on, you know, certainly on the offensive side of the football and on the defense side of the football, when you get guys like Joey Bosa back healthy, that's a big difference maker in terms of getting to the quarterback. So I like the Chargers this week. So give me them on the plus 125 you're getting over on FanDuel and places like that. Joe P, because of the NFL schedule for the Sunday slate week number 18, the Chargers will know their fate, at least from the postseason positioning standpoint, based on the result of the Ravens and the Bengals. Now, because of the win percentage possibilities that we have out there, since he has already won the AFC North, however, if the Ravens win the football game, they could potentially be the five seed in the AFC if the Chargers were then to lose. So there is still motivation at stake mm -hmm. for LA. That spread to favor the Broncos by two and a half says that nobody's playing for Los Angeles. There's a really good potential. They need to win that football game to continue the momentum into the postseason and to control their own path from a playoff seeding standpoint because the five seed more than likely will play the winner of the AFC South, most likely the Jaguars, at least based on the odds. The six seed has to play Cincinnati. It could be a coin toss depending, but probably in Cincy as well. So motivation still very much there for the Chargers. And often you see a team give their final shot. I think that was Denver last week, rallying around mm -hmm. Russell Wilson in the first game since Nathaniel Hackett was fired. We'll see what that looks like two weeks after all of that has culminated for the Denver Broncos. My favorite side, yeah, Houston. First half yeah. money line for the Texans, Joe P, plus 126. You might be looking at me in the face right now. Say, is this guy, what is this guy on? He's that was my second choice. Texans. Let me tell you something, Ben Stevens. Before I was yes. looking at the Chargers and I was going back and forth, and I'm so glad you talked about this one. So talk about it, baby. Let's go. All right, here we go. Well, it's Houston also just in the first half, but they're only a two-and-a-half-point dog against the Colts. The Colts who are starting Sam Ellinger. The Colts who are in absolute disarray. The Colts that have to change everything this offseason. The Colts that have lost six straight games under Jeff Saturday. Meanwhile, the Houston Texans, yes, the worst record in the National Football League, 2-13-1. Well, they tied the Colts the opening weekend of the year when Indianapolis was the odds-on favorite to win the AFC South. Indy is the worst first-half team in the National Football League. They are 3-13 against the spread. The Texans are 10-6 against the number in the first half. But, of course, this is just the money line because the spread is only a point in a hook. Just look at what the Texans have done as a competitive football team in the last month. They got absolutely shellacked last week against the Jaguars. Throw that out. When they were a 17-and-a-half-point underdog against the Dallas Cowboys, they won the first half outright when they were a two touchdown underdog against the Kansas City Chiefs they won the first half outright and then against the Tennessee Titans who had everything to play for in trying to better the position for the AFC South Divisional Crown Houston beat them in the first half and in the overall football game in Nashville against the Titans Houston first half money line plus 126 Joe P against Indianapolis I love it. Like I said, this is the one that I was really looking at as well. And, you know, people are saying, well, what about, you know, the NFL draft? And do, do they want to play themselves out of a first pick? I'm like, well, you got to play yourselves out of the first pick to who? The Bears? They have a franchise quarterback. It doesn't matter. So right. who cares? 
Uh, you're going to get Stroud. You're going to get Bryce Young. You're going to get one of those guys, unless, you know, the Chicago Bears trade out of that one pick, which they might. It's possible. They need a lot of help. But at the same time, I think you're looking at that as you're at the Texans. You're saying, look, is this team making progress? And, and I've said in the last couple of weeks, too, you've seen the Houston Texans, especially defensively, really start to show up a little bit. And that's a credit to Lovey yep. Smith and what he's been able to do with these guys and getting them to play. Uh, that being said, they still need a lot as well. But I'm kind of with you. I, I think that we don't want to talk about dysfunction. Indianapolis Colts are right there. <laughs> I mean, they are right there with some of the worst of the worst. And if you ask me who has a brighter future going forward next year, the Houston Texans or the Indianapolis Colts, it's a real question because it the is. Texans are going to get a franchise quarterback in this draft. Uh, the, the Indianapolis Colts are going to be searching for that somehow trying to figure out what the calculus of that is because this repetition that they keep doing of the aging veteran quarterbacks and bringing them in, it ain't working. It's not getting them to that next right. level. So they've got to figure out a lot of things here and pretty quickly at that. All right, Joe P. Now your favorite total for the weekend. You are focusing on that emotional finale in Buffalo on Sunday between the Patriots and the Bills. What is the angle of attack for that football game? Well, I think I'm looking at the under here uh, because you have two very good defenses. You have a, a Buffalo team that's going to yeah. be highly emotional and, you know, that creates variance. You know, you could come out here as Buffalo Bills and there's so much emotion in this game here in Buffalo that you come out a little flat or, or you know, a little off in a lot of sense. You know, I know everybody loves the rah-rah narrative things and thank goodness that Jamar Hamlin is showing some good significant signs. That's first and foremost the most important thing. Yeah. But you can't discount the fact that it's taking a physical and mental toll on the rest of everybody. And I think the emotions could cause for a bit of a flat first half. And then when you enter in the Patriots and aptitude of offense this year, right? Their offense has less points than defense and special teams combined this year. So they are more of a grinded out kind of offense anyway. So all of that, if this first quarter or even first half kind of underperforms a little bit, I think you're really looking at a potential under here where I know a lot of people are saying, well, the Buffalo Bills are going to go out there and put it on. Yeah, you would think so, except that I think they're forgetting about all the human beings here and the human aspect of everything that's gone on this week. Also, the short practice time and everything else going on, all the other conversations they've had to had. I think it takes a lot. I think the Buffalo Bills would not shock me at all. Uh, if I, I think they're going to win this football game. But regardless, I think that the way that you put the place, the pace of play with the New England Patriots, coupled with everything that's going on this week, I think it's a recipe for a bit of an under here. Close, but an under. Josh Allen said that himself, Joe P, that he'd be lying to you yesterday at the press conference <laughs> if he said, the impact of what they all had to witness and go through on Monday night and in the days coping with that since is not going to impact them on the football field, not just for this Sunday, but probably moving forward for the rest of their lives anytime they step in between the white lines. But we have some great news that we have shared all morning long about DeMar Hamlin, who we got even further positive news that he's FaceTiming his teammates today. He's talking to all of them. So yes, Joe P, it's under 42 and a half. Because the Buffalo Bills went 41 to zip and they cover the highest alternate spread of 32 and a half. <laughs> Hammer the Bills this weekend. Joe P, my favorite total, a team total under for the Baltimore Ravens. 16 and a half is the number for the flock against the Bengals. The other team, of course, involved on Monday night. And there was a lot of conversation around Josh Allen yesterday saying, do not go out there and say anything bad about T. Higgins or Cincinnati at all. The Bengals have handled this with the utmost class. We've heard from Zach Taylor. We have heard from what Zach Taylor's wife is doing, organizing pictures to send to Lamar from all around the Cincinnati area. They were also a component in that football game. And we'll see what that emotion looks like for them 
in their regular season finale. But the focus is on Baltimore. Lamar Jackson still has not practiced. Tyler Huntley has made four starts now. They have not scored 20 or more points in five consecutive games, including all four of Tyler Huntley's starts. They have been under this number of 16 and a half in four of those five games against a top 10 scoring defense, Joe P, in Cincinnati. I like the under of the Ravens, team total at 16 and a half. Let's round out our triple option, Joe P, for the ending of the regular season in the National Football League with our favorite props. Where are you looking at? Which player are you looking at for this regular season finale? Well, the player I'm targeting and looking at right now is Cam Akers uh, of the Los Angeles Rams. They're taking on the Seahawks this week, a team that has not been good against the run most of the year. And Cam Akers has back-to-back 100-yard rushing games. Uh, 19 carries, 23 carries in the last two games. The volume alone is a lot to take in there. And I think when you couple that with the number that you're getting for him uh, right now, which is exquisite, somewhere in the mid-70s on most spots, uh, I'm going over that. I think you're going to look much closer to that 90 to 100 range, and you are in that mid-70 range. Uh, I think Fantasy Pros right now, we have them projected somewhere around 78 yards, so that's already clear by a few yards, which is, doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. So for me, Cam Akers, this has kind of become the identity of this team. In the last couple of weeks, he's been RB1 in fantasy. He's been kind of unheralded, and what a guy who had a really good week one, then did almost nothing, was probably dropped in most leagues, added, probably one of the most added players, and a guy who probably took you to the playoffs and through the playoffs of the championships. You can believe it. What a strange season it was for Cam Akers, but I'm going the over on his rushing yards in this one again, because I think again, the Seattle defense is one to give it up and the acres prop right now looks really solid. And that spread has started to move a little bit back to the LA Rams, still a six point number in favor of the Seahawks at home in Seattle for their regular season finale. That's a very interesting game. The Seahawks need to win that game. And then they look at what happens in the true regular season finale on Sunday night in Lambeau between Green Bay and Detroit. Because if Seattle wins, that eliminates Detroit, but they would need the Lions to beat the Packers for the Seahawks to get into the postseason. Green Bay controls its own destiny. Detroit would need L.A. to pull off the upset against Seattle to make that regular season finale in Lambeau a true winner-take-all game. Joe P., we'll get to my favorite prop for the best bet because it is going to be my bye-bye-bye best bet as we round out this show. It will focus on Justin Jefferson. But first, we thank you for your time here on this final football Friday of the regular season. But don't go anywhere, my friend. We're going to need you for playoff time as well. I'll be here because football never stops, never sleeps, and apparently neither do I. No. Hopefully you get some rest, though, this weekend. That's always our hope for you. Joe Pizapia, as always, thank you for the morning after. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out our two hours together here live on the morning after on this final football Friday of the NFL regular season, but also the first football Friday of 2023. Thank you for joining us all football Friday and week long live right here on the grid. Sirius XM channel 159 and of course all across the Spiz Grizz network as well. I am Ben Stevens for one final update from us this week, a week where the outcomes of football games has felt incredibly insignificant, 
there is a ton of positivity and optimism to enter this final weekend of the NFL regular season. DeMar Hamlin has had the breathing tube taken out of his throat. He is now speaking. He is FaceTiming his teammates to share all the messages that he needs for Buffalo this weekend. Hope is a very powerful thing. And we wish DeMar Hamlin and the entirety of the Buffalo Bills organization the best as Hamlin continues his recovery process. So now it's week 18, the regular season finale of the NFL regular season. We offer up one final best bet before we say goodbye and before we say farewell. It's time for Bye Bye Bye. So for this final weekend of the regular season, there is team motivation and there is also individual motivation. Justin Jefferson leads the National Football League in receiving yards this year, 1771, with 194 on Sunday in the finale in Chicago against the Bears. Justin Jefferson would set the single season record in the National Football League with 1,965 receiving yards. There is a prop to bet that on the FanDuel Sportsbook to take the over, it's plus 440. I'll just take the over of Justin Jefferson's receiving yards prop that will probably be in the low 90s. They are going to get him the football and he will bounce back from a one grab 15-yard performance last week against Jair Alexander and the Green Bay Packers. Justin Jefferson has had 98 or more receiving yards in a ton of games for the Vikings this year, 11 of 16. That does it for a Football Friday Live right here on TMA. Have a great weekend. I'm Ben Stevens. We'll talk on Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern.